You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Joining me on this episode is Connor O'Hara from Saturday Down South. Connor, thanks for joining. Hey, how's it going, man? Good. I'm um, doing well. How you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm glad I could get you on. I know you were on uh, vacation. Uh, I reached out to you last week, and you got to... Uh, yeah, go go, uh, go enjoy uh, go enjoy life for a little while. Yeah, no, I got to go to the Grand Canyon. It was a it was a good time. It was a really good time. I got to like unplug completely. It was one of those where you like I, d- I deleted Twitter off my phone for the first time in my life, and uh, <laughs> it was you know as you know sometimes you just got to do that, especially when you drop some fire takes about the Gators that apparently <laughs> were more fire than you realize, and you just kind of escape for a little bit. We will get into that fire right here on Gators Breakdown. But before we do, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News 4 Jack sports team. Catch Gators Breakdown on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, and Spotify using those services. Please share, rate, and review the show. And catch us on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, Connor, in, in discussing what that fire was, uh, you know, I think I thought the article last week uh, that you had titled "As We Talk About Florida as an SEC East Contender" or something worth remembering. I thought that was a you know a, a pretty fair look at the other side of the 2018 season for for the Gators. You know, there's a there's a saying out there that that goes, "It's not as good or as bad as it seems." So uh, you know, well, you know, this could fit uh, in the maybe everything isn't as good as it seems category. But you know, it's obvious Dan Mullen did wonders in his first season at Florida, turning the team around to get 10 wins, finishing in the top 10. Uh, you even said in the article that after Florida defeated LSU, uh, you were in attendance there, and you had the thought that, you know, quote, the Gators are back. And then you go to point on that, while we're discussing Florida as a contender to Georgia in the East, there's something worth looking at where Florida can improve, and that really starts in their own division. Right. I mean, and that's that's so when I basically, like, a little bit of background on this, so – the quote that got thrown out there from the Paul Feinbaum show yeah. where I said, you know, next year, I think Florida, you know, would be like a five and three or six and two team in the SEC, which, you know, I didn't really think that was that crazy considering they were five and three in the SEC last year. And I said that they were going to stay the same or improve. The, the article was the reason that I was on in the first place. And my point was you're Florida and everything this offseason has said, Georgia is the last hurdle waiting in Florida's way. And that is the one thing. And it's been the this, this sole focus that Florida fans are fixated on. And I get it. Dan Mullen has been not shy about saying, you know what, Georgia is the team that we're going after. And I'm not afraid to poke some, some shots at them a little bit here. But my point was that let's not forget that last year, Florida's three and three against this division, this division that we've criticized that we've said is down. I don't think it's as down as people make it out to be. But three and three against the division, and in five of the six games that they played against the division, they were losing in the fourth quarter. So you take that all into, into perspective, and 
if this were 2015 or 2016, it's a different story. The division was in a much different place now. But I juxtapose it with the fact that Georgia in the last two years has just been so unbelievably dominant that I, I, I think I don't think you can really overstate it. Georgia has not lost a division game by less than or has not won a division game by less than 14 points in the last two years. In order for Florida to win this division, to get to that place where they're playing for an SEC championship and potentially a playoff berth to make this next step, you need to be like seven and one in the SEC. And you need to not only beat Georgia, but you need to be a lot more consistent otherwise. We're talking about a Florida team that's been outscored by Mizzou 83 to 33 in the last two years. There are other strides that this team needs to make. I mean, you could point to the fact that, you know, they had three games, none of which were true road games, that they lost in the division by double digits. So if you're going to win a division, if you're going to compete for an SEC championship and playoff and do all those things that Florida wants to do with Dan Mullen, my point was just that there's a bigger step ahead. It's not just one little tiny step that's standing in the way of Florida and this excellence, this national relevance, despite what the, the, the end of season AP poll ranking said. And I was just poking a little bit more into the specifics of this and saying, you know what, we need to look at this a little bit closer and not just think that Florida is right there. And that, you know, from because from a week to week standpoint, the consistency is still not at the level it needs to be at yet. Yeah, I kind of go back and look at that as, you know, it's Dan, it was Dan Mullen's first season. So you can kind of revision his history in, in a way, grade that on the curve. You're trying to figure so many things yep. out year one. Uh, you know, you're changing from a, a culture that was, you know, lackluster, <laughs> to put it nicely, under Jim McElwain. So I do think a lot of it can be contributed to that. The Kentucky game early in the year uh, was weird in a sense. You were already missing some key defenders with C.C. Jefferson and David Reed. Oh, no. uh, yep. from Injury and suspension uh, going in that game. Marco Wilson goes down early with an injury in that game as well. Um, so now I still don't think you should give up over 300 yards on the ground. <laughs> and then the, you know, many the factors I just put out there were, were in play there. But then, you, like you said, you, you had that midseason stretch of struggling versus uh, Vanderbilt, Georgia, Missouri, South Carolina, two and two uh, in that stretch. It, you know, it, it wasn't going to always be so easy in, in year one. And, and we saw that stretch coming off the big wins versus Mississippi State and LSU. Right. Uh, and team, the team was kind of coming off of a high, uh, I think, a little bit, those two games. And the Vanderbilt performance might could be contributed to that a little bit. Uh, played Georgia tough but, you know, before eventually giving you know, kind of giving away there. Uh, and that game probably spilled over a little bit to Missouri the next week, you know, and for whatever reason, that team's had Florida's number, as you mentioned, the total score uh, the, the last two years, you know, and thankfully after a, a pretty bad start against South Carolina, uh, Connor, I think, I think the Gators found, the Gators found themselves a little bit. No, and, and I think that they did. I think it just, it, it took a while, but we tend to look at these things as such linear, um, linear paths that the teams are going to follow. And we tend to look at, okay, you were this good year one. That means improvement is imminent. And these certain things are just going to work themselves out. And I just think that on the whole, Florida, the, the consistency just is not there necessarily from a standpoint of, okay, you shouldn't be looking at a double-digit deficit in the second half against South Carolina, a South Carolina team that was extremely mediocre all of last year. You shouldn't have a game against Mizzou where you have to bench your starting quarterback and you're wondering what in the world is going on with this team right now late in the year. So there are certain elements where the wins, yes, extremely impressive. And I was I was super, super impressed with how well that defense played up until, you know, the last, you know, even including the last play where you get the safety blitz to sack Nick Fitzgerald. 
and, and what they did against Mississippi State. And obviously, like I said, the LSU win so, so impressive. And I, I think that there are so many good things that Florida has going. But they are strange in that they're a team that finished in the top 10 that we still have a lot of questions about. I think we still have a lot of questions about Dan Mullen and how he's going to handle success, how he's going to handle egos, doing this for the first time in a place like Florida where, you know, to be honest, the, the whole offseason, and as he's seen, the whole offseason just feels way different than it did at Mississippi State where everybody's talking about you. And you're in the national spotlight. You're coming up, you know, in all these national conversations, whereas in Mississippi State, you know, you can go and you, you can stay quiet and you can go hit the gym, work with your two-star quarterback and go develop him there. It's totally different at Florida. And I think that those are the questions that we're, we're still asking about this program heading into year two. Connor, I think the I think the storm's getting worse around you there. Gosh, they are, man. I'm I'm in the sunshine state, but it is not sunshine right now. That was that somebody's not happy with my take right there. That's what that was. <laughs> oh man, Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South joining us here on Gators Breakdown. And Connor, I think the biggest question this offseason, uh, kind of in previewing 2019, is you know how far behind Georgia is Florida? Yeah, uh, the, the East starts with Georgia. If Florida wants to win the East. Uh, you know they have to go through Georgia before we kind of get to Georgia. If Florida was to win the East, what would be the reason? It's the consistency. It's it's having this this belief that on a week to week basis you can impose your will. I don't think Florida's quite at that level yet, where it can just absolutely turn it on. It can go into a matchup with an inferior opponent and say, you know what, nothing's going to hold us back today. We're going to come out. We're going to dominate. And they, like, you know, they, they really haven't done that. They weren't doing that with in the Jim McElwain era. Last year had a different feel, obviously, because of the quality of, the, of, of a, few, a few of those wins. But that, to me, is going to be the big thing, where you can come out against a team like Auburn. And Auburn is a team that we're going to be talking about as a preseason top 25 team. And you can just blow them out from start to finish. And you could say, you know what? We're at home. We're not losing today. We're going to have third and Grantham is going to be firing on all cylinders. We're going to be converting. You know, we're not even going to be getting to these key third downs on offense. We're going to be keeping them off balance with what we're able to do from an offensive standpoint. We've got Kadarius Tony taking jet sweeps to the house, doing all these different things that Florida has the ability to do. Don't get me wrong. Like it's, it's there, but doing those against and imposing your will against SEC teams is, is not an easy thing to do. You know, I, I make the, the comparison it's almost like Florida was on the golf course last year. And, you know, 2017, essentially like their lie from 2017 was somewhere behind a tree or in this, you know, mm-hmm. thick grass that's up to your knees. And Florida hits this shot last year that gets them out of trouble. But the shot wasn't, you know, three inches from the cup, which is where they ultimately want to be. The shot was like on the fringe of the green. And they still have to make a long putt to be able to, to, to you know, to be able to feel like they're at the place that they want to be and to get to that ultimate destination, but it's still going to take a big step to get there. So as we talk about 2019, I think that if Florida is going to make that next step, we're going to see it on a week-to-week basis. I think we're going to know pretty early on if this team is for real. And I think that that's one of the luxuries of having a game like Miami to start off the year where, you know, Florida, you can criticize the non-conference scheduling in years past. And I know they've had the Florida State rivalry and all that, but early in the season to have a test like this, you know, look back at, at a year like 2017 where we saw that Michigan game and the cracks in the foundation were there. And it wasn't just a, it wasn't just because of the credit card nine stuff. So I, I think that we're going to find out very early on how this Florida team is going to fare. And that's not to say that all is decided in September. But I think if we can see those steps made from Florida, we can see that consistency early. That's going to bode really well for their chances to want to compete for a division title. 
Uh, I'll get back to Georgia in just a second, but you just brought up the Miami game. And I know you, uh, you also released an article today on Saturday Saturday down south, kind of looking at the week one matchups and, and the lines that are out there. And, heck, you you got you got Florida winning by a couple scores uh, over Miami right now. Uh, you know, it, I think the game kind of goes that way uh, eventually. I, I think it's kind of the way Florida and Florida State, the Florida-Michigan game went, where you could see Florida was – probably putting it together but just you know they couldn't necessarily put it together you saw there were plenty of chances they were getting in the red zone but not necessarily converting touchdowns score right before halftime and then everything just kind of falls your way uh, in the second half it was kind of the same story against Florida State it was kind of the same story against Michigan I kind of see this a game against Miami kind of the same way because both teams really need to figure out their offensive line there's questions on both offensive lines for both teams but Eventually, in the end, I think you know, Dan Mullen outschemes you know, a defensive coordinator, or head coach, and Manny Diaz that he knows pretty well. Exactly, and that's that's why I would give Florida the advantage in this one. And you know, Miami last year for all the, the issues and all the disappointment that really ensued. I mean, there there's a lot of roster to- turnover with this group and a defense that we thought was just going to be extraordinary last year. We thought that was going to be one of the best secondaries in the country. You know, they're, they're getting a little bit of a makeover there in that department. And the offensive line, if I'm Tate Martell, who I assume is going to be starting in that season opener for Miami, and I'm looking at my offensive line, knowing that third and Grantham is coming and, and those edge rushers are going to be there for Florida. I'm worried. I'm worried that it's going to potentially be a long day for him and what will likely be his first career start. And, you know, Tate Martell, knowing him, he's probably going to come out and guarantee a victory for Miami or something like that. That's just kind of the the bravado he plays with. I think he'll make plays in the game, don't get me wrong. But I just think that when it comes to those key moments in the game, I like what Florida has working. I like the fact that Dan Mullen is just so good at scheming these receivers open. And if you're a Miami team that's still trying to figure things out, you've got a new, you know, obviously they're very familiar with Manny Diaz, but, you know, this is still very much a, a new group on that side of the ball. And there are going to be questions that they're going to have to answer. And Florida, as talented as they are at the skill positions, I think they're going to be able to exploit some mismatches and they're really going to be able to kind of, you know, have that that opening game, that, that big kind of opening game, like deep breath. All right, we feel good about where we're at to start the season because if, if it goes south, I mean, that's a different conversation entirely. Mm-hmm. Florida fans would not be feeling great about the, the the outlook for 2019 if you're losing a game like that to a Miami team that, you know, was, was basically pinned to the ground last year and in really, really rough shape. But I don't think that'll happen. All right. I, I, uh, right before that, I, we were talking kind of Georgia in the East here. And uh, you know, I said, I asked you if Florida was to win the East, what would be the reason? The, I think, you know, Georgia plays a part uh, in that uh, as well. Uh, what in what areas does Georgia need to improve? You know, they're not, a, of course, they'll be ranked third probably in, in a lot of these polls coming in, but they're not quite a perfect team. You know, I think my biggest question is replacing the coordinators and they'll be fine on the defensive side of the ball. That's, you know, that's Kirby Smart's defense, but James Coley wasn't a highly regarded offensive coordinator at his time at FSU where he wasn't really calling plays. Jimbo Fisher was, he was calling plays at the, as an OC at Miami. So, you know, I wonder how he adjusts to the talent at his disposal with Georgia. Yeah, you'd be you if you spend enough time around Georgia fans, they would tell you that James Coley is, you know, like the greatest coordinator on the face of the earth and Jim Chaney is just you know, should be coaching high school football or something like obviously, you know, the relationship got stale there and that's ultimately one of the reasons why Jim Chaney left Georgia. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. I think that's a fair concern. I think right now a lot of Georgia fans and Kirby smart basically came out and said like, Hey, 
we have question marks at receiver. We lost so much talent to the draft. And as much as we feel like, yeah, we have these five-star guys that we should be able to plug and play, this is not going to be an easy thing. At receiver and defensive line, those are the two areas that you look at Georgia and you're just like, all right, where is that experience? Where's that talent? Who's going to be the alpha dog of that group? But the thing that I come back to with with Georgia and with Jake Fromm and what makes me feel more confident in them, you saw it in the Florida game. When Jake Fromm needs to make a play, it's third down and he's backs against the wall, he's got that back shoulder throw. And he does that extraordinarily well where he can step up and make a play and make that clutch throw for you and you know the moment is not going to be too big for him. That's what we still need to see from Felipe Franks. What's Felipe Franks' go-to going to be on those third down situations when, you know, maybe Dan Mullen isn't able to scheme a receiver open or he's not, you know, Felipe Franks isn't able to come up with his throw that's just absolutely perfect, much like that he made, you know, early in the second half against Georgia. When that's not available, what's he going to turn to? What's what's he going to rely on to be able to move the chains and keep drives alive? Because that's what separates the good from the great teams, in my opinion. And that's what has made Georgia so good these last two years and what's allowed Jake Fromm to rise to this level. Yeah, that, that is the, the, the thing about Franks, too. As far as consistency goes, that he needs to take a step there. But, you know, he, he did make the he did make the leap late last season when he started being yep. what Dan Mullen wants to say, a willing runner, was able to, to you know, that, I think right. that's his favorite phrase about a running quarterback is be a willing runner. And, hey, look, it, it did play a part. Felipe Franks played kind of ticked off against South Carolina, shushing the crowd. And, that he, hey, if, he, if that's what it takes for him to play better, get a chip on his shoulder, uh, I think, you know, that Gator fans will, Gator fans will welcome that as long as it's winning uh, there. But, you know, the, the, the go-to might be Felipe Franks' legs uh, a little more because uh, we, we, we saw some big runs, especially against Michigan, the first touchdown of the game was – I think a third and six and like a 21 yard run for for a touchdown. It, it basically, kind of going back to what you what you're saying, if Florida's humming along, it's because they're keeping defenses off balance. And I like too that they recognize and Felipe Franks was like, oh wait, this defense doesn't have Devin Bush, it doesn't have Chase Winovich, Rashawn Gary's not there. That shotgun draw is available for me, and I can attack them with this. And it's not that he lacks mobility. I mean, he 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 is a willing runner, as Dan Mullen has said. We got to remember, too, that, you know, and, and I, I tend to reserve judgment about about an offensive minded coach until he gets one of his quarterbacks in there. And right now he's trying to make Felipe Franks work the best way that he can. And I give him a lot of credit because there are a lot of coaches, and as we've seen, one in years past who, you know, rhymes with Pim Peckowin, um, who wasn't able to maximize his abilities and really wasn't able to figure out what he can do to, to prevent him from making mistakes and also kind of maximize that skill set. And I think that right now, if he gets that part of his game going, gosh, it helps Florida so much. It, it really, really does because we think P. Ryan's going to be so good. We think that there are going to be options at receiver. And if all of a sudden you have to worry about that, that's just something, one other thing that you have to prepare for. One other thing that a, you know, a, a linebacker has to, you know, if you have to spy Felipe or whatever it is that you have to account for. And I think that it's capable and that's on the table. It's just a matter of, of seeing it on a, on a week-to-week basis. All right, a couple more thoughts here from Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. And Connor, preseason magazines are out. Uh, everybody's got their uh, online thoughts as well, the, the, the popular publications out there at ESPN. Everybody's got their polls out there, preseason rankings, preview magazines. Uh, top 10 for Florida, uh, a, a lot. I believe uh, Lindy's had them sixth and Athlon seventh or eighth. I kind of I forget. But, uh, you know, the, the current talent on the roster – 
has been developed under uh, under Dan Mullen in, in his one year there. Um, and many a lot many projections are are based on that. With that said, you know we mentioned you were on fine bomb last week, five and three SEC, six and two uh, potentially there. The, is, is Florida deserving of the uh, top ten ranking going into twenty nineteen? Yeah, I think so. I, and I think I'll have them uh, somewhere around like nine when we come out with our, our top 25 that, that we do in the preseason. I think we're going to roll that out in July. But yeah, I mean, they're a team that finished number seven in the country last year. I think they're like number 19 in uh, percentage of returning production, which is a great stat that SB Nation does every single year. And so you take those two things into account. You return a starting quarterback. It's year two of a, of a coach that's very well respected and who many would argue is a top 10 coach nationally. And yeah, I mean, absolutely. You deserve to start in the top 10. Now, does that mean that, you know, Florida is just all of a sudden in this national title conversation and, you know, they're not going to have any issues? No. I mean, there are still question marks that you have about about their team and the way that they're going to handle kind of week to week the way that and just the way that they're going to handle success. I mean, that's been such a popular topic of conversation years past with Florida is, is how do you handle success? I mean, even dating back to the Urban Meyer era where, you know, can you win an offseason? Can you just like, can you do things to, to put yourself in, in position where you're not putting your foot in your mouth and you're staying out of trouble? You know, is Florida going to be able to do these things to set themselves up well to be able to compete in the SEC? You know, that remains to be seen. We'll see how all that goes. But to have them in the, the top 10 to start the season, yeah. I mean, I'd be surprised if there were somebody that had them outside of their top 15. I think anywhere from like the, the 7 to 12 or 7 to 13 range would make a lot of sense for this group right now. Okay, Florida was a surprise team in the in the conference last year. You probably could label Texas A&M there a little bit too. No more so, no, no, nobody more so than Kentucky last year. Who's the surprise team this year? They're coming out of the East. They're coming out of the West. Who, who you think that surprise team who's going to uh, kind of jump up and shock everybody in the SEC this year? You know, I might just double down and say Kentucky because I feel like a lot of people are. In, in you know, we had Mark Stoops on the podcast a couple months ago, and we were talking about. You know, it's funny how coming into last year, and I was one of them, I, I Kentucky predicted for five wins. And I was like, all right, this team is not going to go to a bowl game. I'm, I'm, you know, they're going to be on the downswing. I know they got Benny Snell, whatever. Yeah, SEC but, media days, Connor. I picked them dead last in the East. So okay. <laughs> we're, hey, we're, we're all there. Like, whatever. Cole takes his folks, come find us. But like, we're, you know, so the point that, that Stoops has been making and that he keeps preaching to his team in the offseason is like, hey, look, everybody was saying that we weren't going to do anything last year. The same is true this year. And we just had a ton of success. We just saw the blueprint of how this thing is going to work. We're going to play smash mouth defensive football. We're going to have a running game that can dominate. We might not be that this team that wins by, by 30 or 40 points in a given week, but we have enough guys and we feel like we're finally at a place where we can play my style of football. We have a bunch of guys who are you know overlooked from the, the Ohio states of the world. They didn't get those offers. And, and Mark Stoops has them believing in this culture. And I just think that coming into the year, I think they deserve to start in the top 25. And I think for a team that finished number 12 in the country, I saw what they did here in Orlando against Penn State in the bowl game. And that was just a team that came out ready to go and wanted it way more. And I understand that they lose Benny Snell and they lose Doc, Josh Allen, two of the best players in Kentucky history, bar none. But you still have Cash Daniel returning on that defense. You still have Mark Stoops who's been able to win seven plus games, three straight years at Kentucky. That is not an easy thing to do. And that running game is still going to be good with AJ Rose. And who knows if Terry Wilson can take this next step, because 
I think the ability is there. And you go back to the throw that he made against Florida, mm-hmm. that, that ability is definitely there. And I think it is more about a mental thing of him wanting to pull the trigger on some of those deep balls. So, yeah, I mean, I believe in Kentucky more so than the average person does. And I think that even if Kentucky won, like, I don't think it's crazy to think that Kentucky could win like eight or nine games this year and once again be the surprise team in the SEC. Go figure that, you know, Mark Stoops, the guy who was SEC coach of the year last year, could actually be the SEC coach of the year in consecutive years if that were to happen. All right, so we know uh, last week the uh, SEC uh, was it, it kind of passed it where schools can uh, have alcohol sales uh, at, at stadiums now. So last question here, your favorite drink for tailgating or, or, or while watching football? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I'm I'm a PBR man. I, I'm a, there we go. Yeah, I, I got no problem have, having a few tall boys. Um, not a problem with me. You know, if I'm if I'm watching a game, something like that, you know, I've recently gotten into old fashions a little bit, a lot more. Maybe it's just spending some time in the South. And Orlando's not the South, but <laughs> kind of the South. Um, that's that's probably my go-to. I used to be a little bit, you know, a little bit of rum and coke, kind of depending yeah. on the situation. A little gin and tonic. Sometimes you got to hydrate, whatever. But uh, yeah, just give me give me a cold PBR, and we're we're good to go. There we go. There we go. Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South uh, with his drink of choice PBR uh, for watching watching football. And hey, maybe maybe we'll see it the uh, maybe we'll see it in the swamp soon. Hey, yeah, we we definitely need to do that. <laughs> I need to make it back, especially after experiencing the LSU game last year. Like I, I need to get up there again early and often this year. All right, Connor, thank you so much for uh, joining us here on Gators Breakdown. Anything uh, special coming up on Saturday Down South? Hey, we're we're we got offseason content galore, man. That's that's just the way that we roll. It's college football season year round. We're gonna have uh, some top twenty five stories coming out in July that we're gonna be working on ahead of SEC Media Days. We're gonna have a ton of coverage for SEC Media Days, just rolling along as usual. That's how we do it. All right, sounds good. Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. All right, thank you so much, man. Yep, appreciate it. No problem. All right, now let's talk some uh, recruiting and our two newest commits that the Gators got over the weekend. Hopefully we get the uh, the first name right here. <laughs> of course, uh, offensive lineman Jovens John Vieira, uh, six foot three, three hundred and fifty pound uh, offensive lineman out of Miami, uh, committed to Louisville previously, uh, and twenty four seven Sports Composite has him rated as a three star, seven hundred and forty fifth ranked player in the country, forty second ranked offensive guard, and ninety seventh ranked player in the state of Florida. He told Swamp 24-7's Blake Alderman, uh, quote, it felt great getting up here because I got to work with Coach Hevesy. He really taught me a lot, and I have a lot of respect for him. So John Vieira uh, said he was telling me to keep my feet moving and keep my hands stable, and when I'm punching and stopping guys in their tracks. So uh, I talked to him after the camp and told him that this was going to be home for me. He really taught me what I needed to know. In the quote. So, you know, relationships are what help here as, um, as uh, John Vieira, uh, you know, another uh, quote he had, and you know, it's just been the love and, and what they showed me. Uh, they gave me more love than anyone else gave me. I have talked to Coach Hevesy, Coach Brian Johnson, Coach Dan Mullen. All of them just show me love and talk to me every day. We talk about random stuff. They just feel like they are my dads. They feel like family. So, uh, you know, uh, also made some Gator fans happy when he brought up a rival in <laughs> one of the quotes uh, there uh, to Swamp 24-7. He goes, I'd like to see Florida get that national championship again. 
and I think they are going undefeated. I want Florida to smash the University of Miami. I want to beat the dog out of them. So that might have been edited a uh, a little bit <laughs> to take out a word there, uh, there. But you know, uh, John Vieira, no love loss for uh, for Miami. Uh, him being down there in, in South Florida probably speaks to that uh, a little bit. But six foot three, three hundred fifty pound. Uh, offensive lineman, uh, more than likely, or I mean, he's definitely play guard uh, for the Gators. The second offensive line commit of the weekend was three-star Gerald Mincy out of Cardinal Gibbons, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, same school as recent, recent signee Chris Bogle. Mincy, six foot five, three hundred and twenty-five pound offensive tackle, was previously committed to Kentucky. Uh, Florida offered Mincy Black backed off his pledge to the Wildcats. Uh, so Miami and Georgia also. Extended offers uh, to to Mincy not long ago. Mincy, six foot five, as I said, three hundred twenty-five pounds, nine hundred thirty-seventh ranked player in the nation, seventy-eighth ranked offensive tackle in the country, and the hundred thirtieth ranked player in the state of Florida. He mentioned he liked what Florida was able to do with Jawan Taylor and the offensive line. Uh, the offensive lineman Florida has been putting in the in the, in, the, in the NFL. Now, so with these two new commitments, uh, I reached out to Swamp 24-7's Blake Alderman for some more analysis of the newest commits. And uh, he said, uh, Mincy is more of a tackle, but he's a swing guy that uh, could play guard as well. He's got quick feet and can hold the edge. May start at guard like, like most young linemen and transition to tackle later. But UF has a big need at tackle, so I think that's his starting point. Um, John Bierre is more of a guard all the way, big, powerful, not overly quick. I think he's a guy that will need to reshape his body. I think Joven's composite ranking is more suited for what fans expect from him. However, I do feel Mincy is still very underrated. He's a four-star in my book, and that was from Swamp 24-7's Blake Alderman. So look, I, I know there was a lot of chatter out there about these kids being three-star prospects and Florida getting more three-star prospects, but... Guys, you know, I'm a Stars Matter guy, but I, I don't see that being a huge deal here as far as offensive linemen go. And uh, they're kind of breaking down what it looks like. As of now, on the 24-7 sports composite, there are 351 five- and four-star players. There are only 48 offensive linemen in the entire country that are five-stars and four-stars. So there's 351 overall five-stars and four-stars only 48 of those are offensive linemen, and only five of them are from the state of Florida, and all of those are labeled as offensive tackles. Uh, there is no offensive guard in the state of Florida rated higher than a three-star. So when we you know, look at getting three stars uh, on the offensive line, now I think we have to factor that in. Uh, the state of Florida has never really been known to produce uh, offensive linemen like the state produces skill talent. Uh, not to make not to make an excuse for recruiting, uh, but I've you know, but I've always believed you can get by on the offensive line with three star type of talent as long as you build the talent around them. Now that's not to say you don't go out and get them uh, if, if you can. You should definitely try. Uh, Florida missed out on, on getting four star offensive tackle Joshua Braun. Uh, we'll get into that later. Uh, but these two new commits camped or visited at, at Florida over the weekend, and you can tell that, that the staff really wanted these guys, especially if you watch the celebration uh, from the staff during Mincy's commitment video. Uh, so, I mean, look, I, I've always thought it's hard to rate offensive linemen in, in high school as it's more about a, a unit coming together, five guys coming together, and a lot of development, uh, getting these guys in the weight room, getting more athletic and learning a system. 
John Hempsey has a track record of being able to develop offensive linemen, and, and there's there's enough there to be able to to, to trust him and Mullen here. So, you know, give me my four-star and five-star skill guys, but, you know, I, I don't mind some gritty, big, strong, tough offensive linemen, and I'll take my chance there. So, now, you know, there, there was still a chance to, to finish the class with a couple of higher-rated offensive linemen. Uh, still the chance out there. Uh, but that took a hit on Monday, as I mentioned, when Joshua Braun committed to Georgia over Florida and South Carolina. Um, the, the you know the big thing here is, is it's another top in-state kid choosing to go out of state, and another one to Georgia. Uh, so this this makes flipping offensive tackle Isaiah Walker even more important. Currently committed to South Carolina, that may eventually come down to a Florida Miami battle uh, after you know after two of your, the the top offensive tackle targets and Jalen Rivers and, and Joshua Braun are going to rivals Miami and Georgia, then, then getting Walker would be a nice uh, addition. He's the 26th rated offensive lineman in the country at a position of need for the Gators. The Gators really need some true offensive tackle types there. Um, uh, another guy to watch out for is offensive guard Richard Leonard uh, out of Coco. Really need to watch, uh, watch for him. He's the offensive line MVP of the opening Orlando uh, in February, uh, visits Tennessee coming up next weekend, I think, uh, and, and is a target, uh, the, the, the target to watch out for uh, there. And um, we'll, we'll see. He's a three-star offensive guard, 6'2", 320 pounds, currently the 884th ranked player in the country and the 51st offensive guard prospect. So uh, keep an eye on him uh, as the Gators pursue. So, Look, I mean, uh, the recruiting roller coaster continued uh, on Monday as the Gators suffered their latest decommitment from four-star defensive back Joel Williams. Williams committed back on May 19th, and as you can tell, that didn't last long as he tweeted his decommitment on Monday night. Florida has done well you know, to get a recruit out of Louisiana in each of the last two cycles with, with Brad Stewart and Chester Kimbrough, but we knew the Gators were going to have to have to fight to keep Williams in the fold. And this comes not long after Williams visited Alabama, received an offer from the Crimson Tide, so maybe the, the writing is on the wall there, or maybe he ends up uh, at home at LSU. But you could really tell he enjoyed his Alabama visit if you looked at his Twitter, if you looked at his Twitter account. And, and it was at that point I figured it was worth watching him. But little did I expect the decommitment this soon, three weeks, basically three weeks after uh, his original commitment so you know where does that leave florida uh, right now let's take a look uh where the gators are currently at in the uh, 24 7 sports composite ranking dropped to seventh in the rankings uh, overall now with 13 commits only miami and south carolina have a lower average recruit ranking of uh, the gators right now of teams that are in the top 10 currently um you know rankings right now are mostly skewed by by numbers of recruits more than anything right now uh, Florida's average right now with six four-stars and seven three-stars is 90.8. By comparison, uh, Clemson leads the way with a staggering 95. I mean, Clemson at 95, Florida at 90.8. Uh, you know, there's no shame in that, really, uh, with the way with what Clemson's been doing on the field lately. Uh, and, and, you know, coming off of a national championship and really putting it on Bama uh, there. But, you know, the team you do play every year, LSU, is at 92.8. Uh, Florida 90.08 uh, LSU is at 92.8 Bama 92.87 so LSU is really you know, LSU is closing the gap uh, to, to Bama uh, right now 
if we kind of just look at what kind of the, the average ranking uh, goes by the, by their commits right now, Georgia, 93.8, Miami, 89.79, FSU, 90.7, and South Carolina, 89.95. Those are teams of kind of interest there in the top 10 uh, of 24-7 sports and their average recruiting rankings. So as I said, Florida at 90.8 uh, and the big teams kind of comparing that to right now, Georgia 93.8, Miami 89.79, FSU 90.7, South Carolina 89.95. So that's a look right now. It'll change, uh, but a look right now where Florida is uh, behind teams they compete with as far as average player ranking goes. And, you know, that's where that, that's why it hurts when you when the top talent you're in the running for continues to go uh, elsewhere. You know, this year was a, a, a great chance uh, to close the talent gap with the kind of, you know, the friendly areas and the big recruits that were in those friendly areas. And, and that's where some of the frustration comes for, for comes from from some Gator fans out there. Uh, you know, if Mullen was able to pull a lot of this talent uh to me, you know, it's a given he'd win at an elite level. But now uh, it's a wait and see uh, approach, and uh, it's going to take some time there. So, you know, I tweeted this earlier today. You know, looking at recruiting overall uh, and the big picture right now, progress is being made. You know, we spoke about that last week, uh, Will and I, uh, and recruiting progress is being made. But that doesn't mean it also can't be better. Um, so it's about as simple as I can put it right now. And, you know, it's not going swimmingly for for whatever reason you want to put out there, whether it be uh, assistant coaches, uh, the recruiting office, uh, what's going on there, you know, uh, kind of lack of uh, numbers uh, in the recruiting office. We all know Otis Yelverton's no longer uh, in the recruiting office uh, right now. So there's so a far short on numbers. I need to replace some uh, of those hires pretty quick. Uh, so, like I said, progress is being made, but it just it, it's just little things kind of kind of adding up there, uh, and and you know, things that need to change uh, to Florida uh, can 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 get better and get better on the trail uh, right now. But you know that's uh, about as simple as I can put it right now. Progress is being made. Roster's getting better, uh, but that doesn't mean uh, recruiting overall uh, can't get better. So hopefully, you know where it's at. Right, now. let's get past all this off season. Uh, that hasn't been the best. There's a ton of negative recruiting going on uh, with the Gators right now uh, from, from rival schools. Uh, as I said, hopefully so the recruiting office is kind of you know, that part of the, the, the staffing uh, gets gets fixed. Anyway, let's get into the season uh, see how it plays out. Uh, you know, We can still discuss all the happenings of recruiting uh, and what it may mean, and that's what we'll do in the offseason. But ultimately, we just have to wait and see how it all plays out and to give the ultimate critique in December and February. So there we go. Uh, thanks to Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South for joining in on this episode. Some really good insight there. Some good, uh, you know, some good Florida talk. Some good SEC East talk. Uh, thought it was interesting of, uh, of his pick, uh, picking Kentucky uh, to be the uh, East pick there. And you know, some good things to say about Florida. And uh, of course, uh, as he said, uh, he took a lot of heat from from, from Gator fans last week. Uh, but you know, kind of. You know, just the way he looks at it there, you know, Florida needs to improve on some things uh, before uh, he can consider them uh, kind of winning winning the East over Georgia right now. And I, hey, look, he ain't gonna be, he's not going to be the only one <laughs> in that boat. I'm probably in that boat too. You know, there's some there's some things uh, that that we got to see first and kind of you know, wait and uh, wait and see approach here too of uh, of how Florida uh, competes uh, against Georgia and uh, hopefully when those two teams meet, it'll be it'll be uh, for all the marbles there. Uh, in Jacksonville, and we see uh, where the Gators are at this year. I think there's a lot of talent on this team, 
uh, and kind of asking him the question too. You know, absolutely, Florida deserves that top ten ranking uh, going into this season, and uh, hopefully uh, to take those next steps that they got to take uh, and compete with Georgia uh, to win the SEC East. So there we go. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.